Well, good morning to you. It's wonderful to be here with you. And to get to see this week a part of the Jesus story where at a moment in time, everything changes for one guy. And maybe for those around him, I've often asked myself, what would it be like? And I've had this privilege of actually seeing a miracle. Now, I've seen hundreds of spiritual miracles over the years, right? People's lives being transformed, that's the big one, right? But I've also seen a few physical miracles, and that's what this is about. And it's one man, one moment. It's a miracle at a city gate. Now, we don't have cities with gates here. You know, Fort Collins doesn't have gates. And, and you know, Loveland and Greeley, they have gates. But back in the day, back in the Middle East, you had walled cities. And this is about one of those. This is not just any old city. This is storied Jericho. If I, could, um, if I could draw an air map for you that I am wont to do, that's what I like to do. And Ruth just rolls her eyes when I do this, but she's not here, so I'm doing this. So, <laughs> so here's, the, here's the Mediterranean Sea, and this is in Jesus' day what is called Palestine, Syria, and over here would be Persia. Today that would be Iraq and so forth. And right inland you have... The Sea of Galilee up here, the Jordan River, the Rift Valley of the Jordan, going down to the Dead Sea down here. And just north of the Dead Sea, a few miles, is Jericho. And just to the, to the southwest of Jericho, as you climb up, because Jericho is the oldest continuously inhabited city on earth, and it is the lowest city on earth, 850 feet below sea level, and it's 20 miles from there up to Jerusalem, and that's where this story is going to take place. So here's Jesus, 33 years old. He's almost done. He's been on the planet physically 33 years. He has chosen 12 guys three years earlier, and they've done most of their mission and ministry, what we would call, <clears throat> up in the north, near his home county of Galilee and north of there. And now he's heading back to the father's house, that house, okay? But in order to get to the father's house, he has prescribed, it's prescribed for him, if you will, in his father's plan, that he go through two cities, Jericho and Jerusalem. And today we're dealing with that moment when he comes into Jericho. It's interesting in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke and John tell the whole of life's 33, uh, the whole life of Jesus' 33 years. John even goes back to the way before that and says, in the beginning was the word, right? But Mark focuses on the adult Jesus when he is baptized by John. That's how it starts. In the beginning, we saw this just on the screen. In the beginning, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God. And in, in this, the first nine chapters that we've already gone through of Mark deal with most of those three years. The last six chapters that we're in now are just the last few weeks. So that you have this huge emphasis on the last few weeks. In all the Gospels you have this, about 35% total of all the Gospels are dedicated to the last few weeks of Jesus' 33-year earthly life. You say, why is that? Well, I think it's the two-minute drill in football. We're, we're, I mean, that's when games are decided in the last two minutes, whether it's basketball, I don't know about hockey, I don't, I don't follow hockey, but, but that's, it's in that moment, it's that old scientific principle, the Bernoulli principle, that if you pour water or liquid into a funnel, it goes faster. That's what's happening here. And these key things that need to happen, these key teachings and moments happen in these last 
few weeks. <clears throat> what was he doing with the disciples? Those last, I mean, he's been 36 months, 24-7 with them on the road. What's he been doing? Well, he's been teaching them. His, his main name in scripture is rabbi in the gospels, teacher. Well, what's he been teaching? Well, he's been teaching them by observation. He's challenging their presuppositions or their attitudes or their perspectives. He has told them dozens of stories to capture two things. He's trying to help them see. He's trying to help them see with kingdom eyes the way God the Father sees. And, and he wants them to see two things in particular. Who he is, Jesus the Messiah, Son of God, and how his kingdom works, how his authority and rule in somebody's life changes them and changes how they see their world. So now they come to Jericho and they're on their way to the Passover feast. This is the big feast. It celebrates that time hundreds of years before when the Israelites were led out of Egypt. It's the Exodus story. It's the big story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's this huge celebration where tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people came to Jerusalem. So there are thousands of pilgrims on the road and there are hundreds of beggars beside the road. If you've ever been to countries where uh, begging is almost uh, in, in where I grew up in, in India when I was small, it would be considered karma. You were born there, that's where you stay there. Sometimes little children are maimed in order for them to be better beggars, if you will. But think about it. Jesus wants his followers to see clearly. And he comes to Jesus, big crowd, lots of beggars around. And being able to see is huge. I mean, back in 1949, when we came home from India, where my folks were missionaries, they did a physical on me in New York City. And I had, I'd had rickets, and I had malaria, and I had whooping cough, all the scarlet fever, all this stuff. <clears throat> but my eyes were the deal. They said, you know, he's very nearsighted nearsighted. You're supposed to be 20-20. You can see this size image at 20 feet, right? I was like 2400 in one eye, 26. I mean, it was... So all of my growing up years, I wore these thick glasses. Now they're better, but they, we used to call them Coke bottle glasses. Any of you remember that? You know, that was me. That was the kid with the glasses and the braces and, a, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> but then in the spring of 1998, I had gone to a... Gone to a friend's church. He had passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, and they asked me to come in for three months, and I went in and spoke every Sunday. And it was the, uh, the week before Easter. It was Palm Sunday. And a, and a man came to me. He said, thank you for being here to, to help your friend and his family and the church. And he said, I'm an, I'm an ophthalmologist, and, and I do eye surgery, and I know you're nearsighted. And I was just wondering, there's this thing called LASIK where we could do some stuff and it'd help you. Would you be open to that? It was very expensive then, 25 years ago. It's not cheap now, but it's very expensive. I said, well, I don't he, I said, how long would it take? Because I could see myself in the hospital for, he said, 30 minutes. I said, it's free and I'm, I can see in 30, I'm in. You know, that's <laughs> sort of how you go with it. And so on, Palm, on, on Good Friday, I go into his office at nine o'clock in the morning and they lay me down and put the stuff in. So he, and I'm a little anxious. I just got to tell you, when somebody starts messing with your eyes, you're a little anxious, right? And, um, but there was a nurse who all during this procedure, she pat my arm and say, you're doing good. Give me a little rub and pat my So if you're a nurse, I love you. I'm just putting that out there. Don't stop the patting thing, you know, because that, that, that helps more than a pill sometimes. Just saying. And so she just, 
And then I get done. They said, you're done. I said, I'm done, yes. And I walk out, and Ruth is there in the, in the lobby, and we walk outside, and I can read license plates across the parking lot. I am out of my mind. I am so excited. It's like a miracle. And for months afterwards, we'd be driving along, and I'd say, Ruth, she got so tired of this. Do you want to know what the gas prices are in the next block? <laughs> just, just having a facet of seeing even if you don't have all of your seeing. A lot of people are colorblind. They can't see colors. And there's some wonderful things on YouTube with people getting glasses where you can see colors or little babies, little kids getting things where they can hear they've never heard their mother's voice. This is just a little clip of a young man who gets these special glasses. Not cheap, but boy, the response is worth it. And that's just one piece of seeing. So Jesus for three years has been trying to help his disciples see the world themselves, the people around them, the needs in a different way. And so he's talked to them about relationships. He's talked to them about, like the rich young ruler about money. You know, how do you see that? And he's, he talks about these little people, children that are sort of chattel property back in the day. They're not seen. They're overlooked. They're looked past, you know. And, and he's just saying, when you welcome one of those, you're welcoming me. And then he says, and if you... If you want to be in the kingdom, you got to be like that. you got to be one of those. And they have the lowest position, and he talks about that. The, the kingdom is made up of people who want to take the lowest position, not the highest position. The whole world wants the highest position. And when we do this, it's a whole different way of seeing the world. And so we come to this moment where he's going to show them what it looks like to have somebody see. This is how it reads, Mark 10, 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. He's in the lowest city on earth, in the lowest position on earth, sitting in the dirt begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and called him and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go. Said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus is three years on the road. Jericho is his last stop before Jerusalem. It's the last healing miracle that Mark records. If I'm the son of Timaeus, Jesus, as far as I know, has not been through Jericho before. This is my one chance. I hear Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And it, what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just talk about these moments. You know, uh, my friend Mark Batterson, who pastors back in D.C., has a, has a thought where he says, life is not a succession of minutes. It is an embracing of moments in our lives that shape us. We can all think of bad moments and stuff like that, but it's those moments that move us forward. It's that, those moments that give us hope that when, when we tell our stories, those are the things that we often talk about. So I'd like to start at the end and talk about just four moments. The first one is a trusting moment. These are moments that change it all. That's the title of my thoughts today, moments that change it all. 
And the first moment is a trusting moment. How many times has Jesus praised people's faith? Because the word believe and trust and faith are all the same root word in the New Testament. And how many times has he praised people's faith? The woman with the issue of blood, uh, Jairus and his daughter, he's praised people's faith. On the other hand, sometimes with his close-in guys, he's chided their faith because he showed them all this stuff and they still don't quite get it. So he talks about, oh, you have little faith. And here is Bart blind Bartimaeus and he believes one thing. This is the person that can help me. That's what he believes. And it's suggested by the messianic title, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is mostly called teacher. He calls himself mostly the son of man. And just a handful of times, that messianic title, Messiah means anointed one. It's, it's in Jewish tradition and history and biblical thought that this is the person who comes to change everything, change the world and rule our hearts. And he's got it right, blind Bartimaeus, however he came to that belief. Because our beliefs about what and who are the big beliefs in our lives. However he came to that, it's a powerful thing. And it goes way back. You can go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. The 11th chapter is the faith chapter. Listen to how it says this, Hebrews 11:8. 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Here's my air map again. Here's Abraham over here in what is now Iraq at a place called Haran. And he hears God say to him, I want you to go over here, what they call the Fertile Crescent. And he comes up with his family and all of his animals and his camels and his donkeys over to this place that would be now what we call Israel, then Palestine, Syria. And when I read that text, what I understand about it and think about it, and there are other texts that confirm this, is that trust or faith only works in the dark. If you don't know where and you don't know how, and I, well, I, well, good, that's where faith works, right? If you know how everything's gonna work, if you got a plan, you don't need to trust God. You don't need to. And I see, I see Abe with his, Abraham with his people and his animals, and he's coming to the edge of Haran, he's gonna leave town. And if, if Rotary had been in play back in the day, the president of Rotary would say, Abe, where are you going? And Abe has this wonderful response, I don't know. I don't know is a wonderful faith response because it doesn't have to do with where you're going. There have been a number of places we've gone in our lives where we don't know the where or what's going to happen when we get there, but we've gone. There's an old gospel song that says, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. That's how it is. So trust only works in the dark. One of my favorite experiences in men's retreats years ago, I haven't done this for a long time, is that 200 men in a conference in Illinois, we said, why don't we do a trust walk? And a trust walk works where you take somebody by the hand and they close their eyes. Well, let me just show you how that works. So I'm going to, the, the folks in the back are going to turn off my sound because for this, we, just one person needs to hear my voice. So. Justin, would you get, this is J-Matt who leads our young people. And he's, he has a heart that's old and seasoned, but he has eyes and a mind that are a teenagers. He sees <laughs> like a 13, let's hear it for J-Matt. Can we hear it for J-Matt? Well, I'm not going to ask you if you trust me, okay? okay. I, I won't, you just take my hand. Okay. 
Please close your eyes. Okay. Let me hold it the other way. Okay. You're hurting me there. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to lead you. Okay. And then along the way, I'm going to drop your hand, and you just listen for my voice and follow that. Okay? Okay. How are we doing? I'm all right. You're okay? Not too scared? Well. Yeah, there's that. Okay, so we're going to turn around a couple times. You're not going to hit anything. You've got a lot of place. I feel like I'm square dancing with you. We're just going around here. But I'm just going to stop right there. Okay. And you listen for my voice. Over here. Right here. Just step out right toward me. You're good. Keep coming. Keep coming. Follow my voice. Follow my voice. This way. Keep coming. You're good. You're good. Keep coming. This way. Over here. That's right. Keep coming straight toward me. You're doing good. Right here. Come back this way. You're good. Step right out. You're not going to hit anything. Keep coming. Over here. Come right here. Keep coming. Stop. Open your eyes. Let's hear it for the man. I thought I was in the parking lot. <laughs> so I got these. So I've got these 200 guys. We go outside in a grassy area near a highway in a place called Carlinville, Illinois. They get a partner and they're wandering around, have no idea what the people thought driving by, and they're out there wandering around. And I say, "Drop your hands." They drop their hands and they start calling to each other. And you can hear it, Harry, not over there, Harry, over here, Harry. See, the problem is in a group, unlike this, there are 99 other voices calling for our attention in the dark. And we need to hear that voice. So we called him back in and had a debriefing. I said, when in your following did you want to open your eyes or did you open your eyes because you, your trust level was sort of doing this and you wanted to take control? Trust yourself more than. And one guy said, when I felt the tree. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, the shadow. We were in the sun. The shadow fell across me. And, and I opened my eyes. There was a tree, 50 feet over there. But it felt real. I love the song. Even when I don't feel it, you're still working. We just sang that. When I don't see it, you're still working. Another guy said, when I got directions late, like that was a log. <laughs> or when I got imprecise directions, you're coming to some stairs sometime soon. That doesn't help me, friend. I'm just saying, that does not help me. But I love the older guy who was not my age. You know, he had a couple of hearing aids. I have hearing aids. I'm just not wearing them. But, you know, he was there and his cheeks were flushed. He said, that was one of the most exciting things I've done in a long time. I said, why? He said, because for once in my life, someone else was responsible for the obstacles. When you trust Jesus, son of David, king of the most high, someone else takes responsibility for the obstacles in the dark. So that's a trusting moment. How about a mercy moment? When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know, my, my thing is this. I don't, know, I don't know that Jesus can see him there. But many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's the singular cry of the human heart, is for mercy. I need mercy. 
I'm not standing up over saying, what do I need a little more judgment over here? You know, I'm judging myself enough. I don't need a pile on here. You know, what we need is mercy. And the context of that is that here's the God who specializes in mercy. I don't think he can see, you know, this is false imagination. And with his human eyes, you know, guys are standing up beside the road. He's back there in the dirt sitting down. He's sitting down. So Jesus can't see him or he can't see Jesus, but Jesus can hear him above all the other voices. He hears him. And here's the God who disperses mercy right, left, and center. Some people say, well, I've wandered too far and I've done too much and I've wasted too many years and I've hurt too many people and I've blown too much money. So therefore, I can't. He won't have mercy on me. And Jesus looks at us and says, I'm sorry, but your twos, too much, too late. Too, they're too late because the price is already paid. The value is already given. I don't see you through the eyes of what you haven't been. I see you through the eyes of what I've made you to be. I have already made a way and paid a price and my mercy abounds toward you. There's this writing in the Old Testament called the Book of Lamentations. It is what it sounds like. It's a lament. It's a sorrowful thing. And right in the middle of the Book of Lamentations come these verses. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Somebody came along a few years ago and put a tune to that. <clears throat> you ready for this? that goes something like this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. I'd like a little help. Here we go. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. I've always wanted to lead a big choir. This is my moment. I may never. This is like coming through Jericho. This may be my last chance. We're going to try that again and bust it out. If, if you're a soprano, take that. If you're an alto, so you, you know, take a part. If you can't sing in a bucket, just go for it. Here we go. Can't carry a tune. Here we go. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. You need to give yourself a hand for that. Go for it. I think you need to. Can, can you feel it when he shouts for mercy? He's not going to be denied. And in Mark 10, 49, Jesus stopped. Literally says he stood still and said, call him. I love this thought that the king of the universe is striding across this little marble-sized planet in his great universe. And somebody shouts for mercy and he stops. And he says, call him. And the people who have been putting him down all these times saying, be quiet, Dumbo, you know, stop, just shut up. All of a sudden they're saying, 
Well, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. <laughs> you know, they missed their moment. And so they're, anyway, however he gets to Jesus, he gets there. And isn't this interesting how sometimes we misunderstand or choose not to look at because it's awkward disability? People talk about disabilities or handicaps. All of us are disabled, just at different levels. All of us are ignorant, just at most of the stuff there is to know in the world, I don't know, okay? All of us are insecure, just in different times and seasons and places. So when we talk about somebody being disabled, we usually mean that in a physical sense. I know what it feels like when I stuttered from age 5 to age 28. I grew up in those years, especially in my teenage years, feeling like when I tried to talk, people were looking me in the mouth. And the thing it does to me is it doesn't encourage me, right? And so here, here's, here's the deal. That, that sometimes when we're not understood, we assume certain things. I remember being in a setting where a friend was in a wheelchair. And somebody walked to him, up to him and said, John, how are you? And he said, well, my legs don't work, but my ears are fine, you know? So I think sometimes we make assumptions about what disabilities are. But the fact is, when I had an interview with a dear friend years ago who had, in a, in a uh, situation had been severely disfigured, I asked him if he would talk with me in front of the students in the college where I was, and he said, I will. And I said to him, Don, how does it feel? What's it like to have this physical disfigurement? And he just looked at me and grinned and said, President Foth, isn't it? Wonderful that it's not a spiritual disfigurement. Well, that'll put it in perspective. There's something about our embracing of those that we think are disabled, like the person in our family who's now with Jesus, who was born with Down syndrome, and they said he couldn't do this and he couldn't do that, but he could be sweet and he could be affectionate and he was sensitive to the Spirit of God. So... Jesus stood still, their, cheer, their jeers turned to cheers for him. And in responding to Jesus, I'd just like to say this. If you're, if you're looking for the Lord, you may be here looking for God. People come to churches looking for God sometimes. And some of the friends in your culture try to shout you down. Don't listen to the crowd. Do not be denied by the crowd. Then there's a healing moment. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus and Jesus asked, I love this question, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Now, he had just asked that question last week, if you were here, of his disciples. His disciples said, we want you to do for us anything we ask. And his response, both paraphrase, what would that be? And they said, well, one of us would like to sit on your right hand, and one, we'd like to be in the power team. When you he's, just, he's been talking to him for three years about now not pushing for position for serving and they what I don't know what happened but that's not the question this guy wants answered this man says he says what can I do for you and he says I want to see and it doesn't say he touched him he didn't make the mud balls like he did for that other guy and put him in. he didn't even spit in his eye you know there's a, if, if you're not a reader of scripture there's this cool place where Jesus spits right in the guy's anyway that that's a story for another day but but he doesn't he just says go your faith, your trust has healed you. Now, there can be elaborate um, theological frameworks where people say it's all on you, and if you don't have enough, then you, 
But that's not it. It's not all on you. And it's not the fact that you trusted a doorknob. You didn't trust old Fred Farkle from Ohio. You trusted Jesus, the son of David, king of the most high. That's a different level of trust. And when I, when I think about this, I think about the specificity of the request. Mercy is the big request. And within that, I have the smaller request that won't be eternal. This one's eternal. This one is temporal. He'll see for this time, but then he's going to die and be gone, right? And sometimes when we lack specificity, I think there's something about it that, that we don't know if it's answered, for starters. So what I'd like to do is we're going to put a number on the screen, and I'll come to back to this in just a couple of minutes. And if you have a request, if you have a prayer need that's been on your heart, and you would like somebody, a real person, not a robot, to pray for that need, if you would just text your request in these next few minutes to this number. We're going to leave it up, and then we'll put it back up in a few moments. You say, well, I'm not a texter. I'm with you. My thumbs are too fat to do this very quick. I do it, you know. If you're that person, just write the request on the connection card in front of you on the seat back, and when you leave, put it in the basket or the container out there. Okay? So we'll come back to the request piece in a minute. But be thinking about that, if you would. And finally, there's a deciding moment. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And I'm saying, well, like the first thing Jesus tells him to do, he doesn't do, which is go. Because he says, you know, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather join. And he follows Jesus along the road. Well, where was Jesus going? He's got, he's got a week or just maybe two weeks before they pin him to a cross like some butterfly up against the skyline and his life drains out of him. But so I'm, I'm thinking Bartimaeus starts and he, and he makes that 20-mile climb, climbing those 3,000 feet up to Jerusalem. And crowds start gathering and they go in the gate on what we call the triumphant entry and people are cheering, Hosanna. And, but within days, they're chanting, crucify. And Bartimaeus is seeing all of this. But in between, he's seen Jesus confront people who are posers and fakers who say they're from God, but they're not. And he's seen him when he looks at the woman putting the mite, just the penny in the offering, and says she gave all that she had. It's way more than those rich guys. Nothing against the rich guys, but that's what the kingdom's about. That's, he sees all. He's never seen that. He sees all of that. And when, when I think about it, about the specificity of I want to see and I, I will, and I want to follow you, I think of my six-year-old self in the tea plantations of South India. Parents were missionaries. I had scarlet fever and almost died in New York City of that and a mastoid infection in my ears. So I'm just a couple of years, three years later, and I get what they call malignant malaria. There are various strains of malaria, and back in the day, in the late 40s, it would be what they call in Africa blackwater fever. There's some strains of malaria that you get, and they stay with you, but other kinds, like this, can kill you more readily. And my, my folks said three days you were in a delirium as a six-year-old boy, and uh, your temperatures were up to 105 and 106, 
And uh, in the night, one night, you turned toward mom, your mom and said, Mommy, I'm going home. And she didn't know if that meant America or heaven. But in the middle of that third night, there was a knock on the door, and there stood a, an Anglican single-lady missionary from England. And she said, I was praying, and I felt like the Lord told me to come and pray for Dickie. My mom said, absolutely. She walked in, and I don't remember this, knelt by my bed, put her hand on me, and prayed, and left. And that night, my fever broke. I stand here some 75 years later, grateful for the people in my journey, whether it was scarlet fever, or a mastoid infection, or malaria, or rickets, or all those things that I had, grateful for the specificity of someone's prayers. And we're going to put that number back up. And if you have a specific thing that you'd like folks to pray for this week, in the next few days, do that. We have a prayer team, and we say, yeah, I know, yeah, but well, let me just give you some of the names that will be praying for this this week. Mary and Karen and Tom and Ken and Marianne and John and Billy and Bonnie, plus 60-plus others will be praying for these requests that you either put in the basket back there or text in because one moment can change it all. Ask Bartimaeus when you get to heaven. One moment can change everything. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I love that song. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who you are. And this is who I am. And I need mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your merciful nature. Thank you for your character. We don't understand, I don't understand, how healing works. I don't know how redemption works, except you said you'd give it to us if we asked and if we followed, and as we followed. For the one who is desperate today, in the sound of my voice, I pray that you would wrap your arms around that one with a grip like all eternity. And as you ask them the question, what would you want me to do? If they've never known you, if they've never followed you in the way, help this be the moment where they say, I give you my, my past with all of its guilt and shame and sin and shortcomings, and I receive a future that's touched by your glory and your hope and your presence and your faithfulness. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. If you're, if you're able to stand, please stand and let's sing that song. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Light in the darkness, my 
might some of you might be saying I love that specificity and I'm grateful for Bonnie and Connie and Ken and Marianne but, but I'd like a touch right now I mean I'd, I'd like to just have a human touch our prayer team is coming to be here in the front and as others slip out you may want to come and just say I, d I didn't write this on the card or I didn't write anything on the card you just want to come and have prayer with somebody who cares and somebody who believes there's a God who's a way maker and a miracle worker and a promise keeper and light in the darkness. So these folks will be here at the front. And for those of you who are guests, I'd love to say hi. I'll be back in the back when the service is over. But as we wrap this up, I love it that a man's eyes were healed in Jericho 2,000 years ago. I love that story. You can tell that story every day, never get tired. The Apostle Paul, who's been through a lot of stuff, been in a lot of jails, been beat up quite a few times, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, a pagan town, he writes to the, the folks who are believers in Jesus there. And this is what he says in a prayer. It's Ephesians, the third chapter, the 20th verses. And I'd like you to say it with me as our benediction, okay? And really get after it. Don't whisper this. Well, you don't have to do it at all, but I'm just saying, I'll find you. No, I won't. Here we go. Let's say it together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's hear it for that. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Go in is great.